Good morning, everyone. <laughs> How are we doing? Are we doing good? Doing well. That is good. Y'all enjoying this colder weather that we've got? No. No? No. You know, I get people that are, are kind of sitting there and they get upset at me because the, the cold weather starts coming in and I'm like, bring on the snow. I am ready for the snow. The more of it that I can get, the better. And people look at me with the same look that many of you are giving me right now. But, but see, here's, here's my thought process. Just, just hear me out on this. We can't escape the cold, right? So if we can't escape the cold, at least we can enjoy some snow to go with it. I mean, yeah, see, there we go. We got one amen here. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's, it's already going to be here. And then the other thing that kind of gets me, here's, here's what kind of gets me with this time of year and with this weather. People are shocked at how cold it is. People that have lived in Iowa all their life. And I'm like, you do realize that about every six months this comes back, we have cold. And then it gets warm. And then it gets cold. And then it gets warm. Cold and then warm and cold and then warm. It, it never fails. And well, the, yeah, and then, and then people are saying it's not November. It's not November. However, historically, we had, what, the first snowfall, I think it was on October 18th. And historically, that's actually late for Iowa. It's more around the 10th. We got an extra week without snow. We should be praising God for that. So it's like this, this thing that happens, and yet we get surprised by it. But I think maybe it's because we as human beings, we all suffer from a little bit of short-term memory loss or maybe long-term memory loss or maybe just memory loss in general. Maybe as Christians, we're trying to think about the best. And so when we think that snow and cold is bad, we just want to forget that it ever happened. And it's like, no, that, that didn't happen. This is, I, I know it's Iowa, but I think Iowa feels like August, 12 months out of the year, where it's just miserably hot. It's, it's like we forget these things. We, we kind of fail to realize that it's going to keep happening. It's, it's inevitable. It, it just happens. It's, you know, kind of like we had this movie that came out on Netflix, and I don't know if anybody saw it. It's called The Social Dilemma, and it's talking about how this technology with social networking... Uh, Nancy, we're getting awful feedback on that speaker. That's going to be... There we go. <laughs> it's like I'm just, I'm hearing that over my own thoughts. Um, social Dilemma. And we've got this movie talking about the social networks and the, the power that it has, but also the negative aspect that it has. That these social networking sites could be used for evil. That it could wind up doing harmful things to us that we could start to be used by them to the point that we are then the tools rather than the social media being the tools. And I think the thing that surprised me the most about that was not what it said, but that people were surprised. Like, I was shocked that people were shocked. Because I'm, I'm scratching my head and I'm thinking, have you not been alive? Have you not seen that Anything that man creates will be used for evil. 
It's like everything out there gets used for bad things. Yes, it gets used for good, but it also gets used for bad. And so the thought that people are surprised that, you mean people can use Facebook for bad? I'm like, I'm appalled that you're shocked. You, you, you should have realized this. However, it's this thing that, that keeps replaying in our lives that all of a sudden I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, we all face this. It's not just me that gets shocked and surprised that people don't realize it's going to get cold this time of year and that you know these white flakes are going to fall from the sky or that when we create something new for society that is meant to help us, people are going to use it for their own personal gain and for evil purposes. It's not just me getting shocked at that. It's, it's like all of us. We start to get surprised or maybe just perplexed that I don't know, history has a way of repeating itself? I mean, it's, it's like as, as parents, how often have we looked at our children and said this very thing? How many times do I have to tell you at least one more? <laughs> like, we, we keep doing it. Or, why can you not get this through your thick skull? Okay, that's usually a, a wife to a husband. Or a husband to a wife, you always do this thing over and over and over again. When are you going to learn? Well, not anytime soon. And we've all, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the only one that sees this, right? We've, we've all experienced these things that, you know, if it weren't for the fact that it's so obvious, we might call it deja vu because it just keeps happening over and over again. It's like these little Groundhog Day moments that just keep playing over and over in our lives. And yet there are philosophers, and yet there are famous leaders throughout the world that have said similar things to address this. Like I, I'm reminded of the, uh, the philosopher George Santayama, who said that those who don't remember their past are condemned to repeat their mistakes. Shortly afterwards, you get Winston Churchill that says something similar, and he says... Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And I love those quotes, and I've used them many times. But yet, like with everything that I've ever said, or everything I've ever done, or everything I've ever read, sometimes I just have to check it, and I'm like, that sounds good, but is it biblical? I mean, because these guys are saying, you know, those who don't remember the past are condemned to repeat the mistakes. Or if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. And so what they're really doing is they're saying that there's a way for us to escape this endless cycle. There's a way for us to get out of this. And I just stop and I wonder, okay, I, it sounds good and it sounds hopeful and it sounds encouraging. But is it possible to actually escape this cycle? Is it possible for us to not repeat history? Because as a natural pessimist, I look at humanity and I'm saying, either it's not possible or we're just really stupid and we haven't figured it out yet. When many people have come before us and said, here's how you don't do this. See, so it's like, I see this cycle going on, and, and we all see this cycle going on, and we hear that this is going to keep happening. History is going to keep repeating itself. We're going to keep making the same mistakes. We're, we're doomed to repeat the failures of the past. And I just wonder, okay, if we say that, 
what does God say about that? And so what I typically will do is I start to search Proverbs. Like when I've got a question like this, I, I want to search Proverbs because, I mean, it's the book of wisdom, right? So why not? Well, I started looking through Proverbs and I didn't find anything that directly addressed this. I was a little disappointed. I'm like, you mean Solomon, the wisest man recorded in the Bible. I mean, apart from Jesus, who had the mind of Christ himself. But Solomon, the, the wisest man recorded in the Old Testament. There's, there's my clarification. He didn't write about this in Proverbs? Oh, wait, there, there was another book that he wrote, right? Ecclesiastes. So I started reading Ecclesiastes. I didn't get very far, and I saw that Solomon addressed this. In Ecclesiastes 1.9, I'll just pull it up here on the script, or screen for you. Solomon says, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. I'm like, oh. So we can't learn from history, and we are doomed to repeat it. Because... What has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. Which, by the way, if you ever want to read a downer of a book, read Ecclesiastes. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a great read. It's fun. Wednesday home group over in Osceola, we're going through Ecclesiastes, which is, it has been very fun. But Solomon is essentially sitting here and he's like, it's all meaningless. It's all worthless. It's like punching the wind. We're not going to get anywhere. What does it matter? But when you start to read it, you start to realize that he's not talking about everything. He's talking about what happens when we're doing it our way rather than doing it God's way. And if we do it our way, what has been done will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. When we do it our way, we are doomed to repeat it. But what happens if we do it God's way? And that's where I kind of want to go with this series that we're starting called Judges. We're looking at the book of Judges. We're going to go through part of it. And we're not going to do a complete expository study over the next few weeks on this. It's Actually, I think we're probably going about six weeks on it. Because there's a lot to see here. And, I mean, if I were to try to test you and put you on the spot and ask you how many Judges can you actually say right now, I would be hard-pressed to find any of us that would actually say all 12, unless you're like me and you memorize the 12 judges by singing the song from what's in the Bible. But we're going to look at this because these judges, even though some of them there is very, very little written about them, there is so much that we can learn from them. There's so much that we can learn from the Israelites who are supposed to be under the leadership of the judges. And there's so much that we can learn from this cycle that takes place throughout the book of the judges. It's this cycle that we call the cycle of apostasy. And so what I want you to do is I want you to actually turn into your Bibles, and we're going to start with Judges chapter 2, and we're going to start off with verse 10. And I want to kind of set this up, and then we're going to jump in here in a little bit to chapter 3. And look at the first three judges that we're going to talk about. Othniel, Ehud, and Shamgar. Yes, that's right. I remember their names. And I will argue with people about how it's pronounced Othniel and not Othniel. I like Othniel. That's the way I learned it. That's the way I'm sticking with it. 
And Judges chapter 2 is where we're at. And it's, it's kind of this interesting thing that where it's being set up. And, and we'll just read this real quick. We're going to read verse 10 down through verse 19. And I'm reading out of the New King James Version in case it sounds slightly different from what yours sounds like. So in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says, When all of that generation had been gathered to their fathers... Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done in Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed the other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth, And anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of the plunderers who spoiled them, or despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and to bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. This vicious cycle happens over and over and over and over and over. It's this vicious cycle of God having people in a life of like deliverance, a life of abundance, a life of blessing, a life of safety, a life of peace. And all of a sudden, it's like people think they can do what they want and God is going to move with them. And I've had people that are like, well, why would God come against these people? Because they stepped across the battle line. God's not moved by what we do. He, he stands. He's faithful. And he's like, this is right and this is true. And you want to be on the right side of things. And he's going to battle against the enemy. But all of a sudden, we disobey him. We stop following his ways. We start sinning. We start rebelling. And we go across that line. And now we're against God. It's not that God chose to be against us. We choose to be against God. And so we've just walked right into God's hand. And God warned him. He said, this is what's going to happen. If you stand against me, you've made yourself my enemy. So stand with me. Don't don't stand against me. And, And what happens is, They have this rebellion taking place. They're full of sin. 
And all of a sudden, because they've now come against God, God takes his hand of protection off them, starts to let all of the evildoers start to rule over them. They go back into captivity. They go back into slavery. They go back into suffering because of their rebellion. And then they're just wallowing in all that pain for a while. They stay there in that place until finally it becomes too much to handle. And then they cry out to God, Lord, save us. We can't take this anymore. Deliver us from our captors. Deliver us from our oppressors. Hear our cries, O Lord. And of course he hears them. Because God is forgiving. God is long-suffering. And God raises up a judge. And he's like, here. This is the man, this is the woman that I am anointing for this time to lead you out of this captivity, to end the suffering, to help you with this deliverance. Because of your sin, you fell into this sorrow, you fell into this shame. But now, when you actually express that sorrow, when you show that repentance, here is your deliverer. Here is the one who will lead you into salvation. And he brings them back out of that. And then they enjoy, they enjoy this peace. They enjoy this life of abundance. And then that generation falls off and the next generation has no idea the pain that the previous went through. And so they do what they want. And here's God. He's like, how many times do I have to tell you, stop doing this? Apparently one more time. And they go. And their sin leads to suffering. It results into sorrow. And then here comes God providing that salvation. I've got this graphic here that kind of displays yet the simplicity of this cycle and yet the pain of this cycle. It's just over and over and over again. Our sin leads to suffering. The suffering leads to sorrow. The sorrow leads to salvation. And then we start the cycle all over again. We keep going through this over and over and over again. See, rebellion leads to destruction and chaos, but repentance leads to deliverance and salvation. And yet this is what God is constantly trying to do. And he's constantly trying to help us. And the problem is that we receive and we start enjoying such an abundant life. Everything is good. Everything is peaceful. Everything is amazing. I'm loving life right now. And then we start to press it. Well, I'm enjoying it. So apparently life is all about enjoyment. Life is all about pleasure. So I'm going to chase pleasure. And in doing that, we jump back into sin. In doing that, we start causing harm. And it repeats over and over and over and over again to the point that those that were even around, even these judges that God raises up, they have to be looking at the Israelites with contempt, with disgust, thinking, how can you do this? And can you imagine how God is looking at us? Especially because we have this book, we have this Bible that shows us over and over and over and over and over and over and over how humanity has fallen into this cycle. And there is a way of escape. Stop sinning. 
It's like, just stop doing that. Just follow God. Just do what he says. If you're doing what he says, then you're on the right side of things and you'll stay in the salvation. You won't slip back into sin. But when we start chasing pleasure more than God, when we start chasing what we want rather than what God wants, this is what happens. See, it's like, I wonder if that movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray was actually loosely based on this. That just, let's just, you know what would be funny? You know what would be a comedic film? Let's have a man who just keeps replaying the same thing over and over again and realizing how it doesn't really matter. Let's just do that. A man that is unwilling to change. He just has to keep going through the same day over and over and over again. And maybe, if he goes through it enough times, he'll learn his lesson, he'll change, and he'll actually be good. And I remember that, and there's this one scene where he's sitting down at a diner, and he's getting ready to have this breakfast, and he's just gorging himself. And the lady that's sitting next to him, the look on her face, the look on her face is how I envision God looking at us when we fall in this cycle of apostasy. God's sitting there shaking his head. In disgust. In disgust. And we're just like, what? What? I mean, you gave this all to me. See, this this cycle, it didn't even start here in the Judges. Go back to Genesis. But what, God? You're the one that put the tree there. You're the one that gave me the woman. You're the one that allowed the serpent into the garden. What? Do what I want. And God just sat in there in complete disgust, looking at us and thinking, how can you be so ignorant and oblivious to what is going on around you? Because I've not only given you the word that has shown you what not to do and what to do, I have given you eyeballs and a brain that is connected to those eyeballs that if you would just look at what is going on in the world, you would see that this cycle keeps repeating. And man, for all of our sakes, I hope 2020 doesn't repeat itself. But at the same time, you sit there and you look back through history and it's like, oh, wait, maybe 2020 is just a repeat. Maybe previous generations have already went through this. I saw this meme circulating the internet of Pharaoh looking at modern day Christians when we're complaining about one plague and he's like, really? Only one? (laughs) It's like, what do you think is going to happen when we rebel against God? For years, Christians in America have been pounding the pavement, marching the battle cry, telling us, listen to what scripture says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face and pray, then I will hear their answers and I will heal their land. And they've been saying that. And yet I fail to see the people called by his name actually turning from our wicked ways. And if we don't turn from our wicked ways, we're just like the Israelites. 
we just keep down this groundhog day looking and be like, what? I said the scripture. I prayed the prayer. I went to a rally. I mean, that's good enough, right? Now I can do whatever I want. And God's just shaking his head. He's like, that's disgusting. I warned you. I warned you what would happen if you choose that side of this battle. Be prepared. And here we are in 2020 and the plague came and it's like, oh no, we got to get back and get right with God. We've got to fix things. And all I can hear God now is saying, thank you. It's about time. Better late than never. And here I am. You see, in Judges chapter 3, if you you bounce over there, we see these three judges. We start here in verse 7 with Othniel. Judges chapter 3, verse 7, it says, So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord and served Baals and Asherahs. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, the king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel, who delivered them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. So he gives them somebody to walk with them. See this, somebody to walk with them and to be in battle with them. And when they are with the one who is there to lead them into battle, when they are with the one, daily with the one who is there to deliver them, all of a sudden they're enjoying peace for 40 years. But unfortunately, Othniel died. Verse 12, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel, and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjaminite, of the hand, a left-handed man. And by him, the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Ehud, I love this story. I, I love this. The, sometimes I just love reading these stories and seeing the beautiful imagery that God puts in there. For any of you that like action movies, you're going to appreciate this story. Old school John Wick going right here. Verse 16, now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double-edged and a cubit in length. If you don't know what a cubit is, every time I read a cubit, I'm like, what's a cubit? A cubit is 18 inches. This is an 18-inch dagger, okay? He fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. So he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. When he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute 
But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, keep silent and allowed all who attended him that went out from the room. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat and then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into the belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade and the fat closed over the blade for he did not draw out the dagger out of his belly and his entrails came out. Then Ehud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked him. And when he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked, so they said he is probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. Then they waited till they were embarrassed, and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore they took the key, opened them, and there was their master, fallen dead on the floor. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed, and passed beyond the stone images, and escaped to Sarah. And it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains. He led them. He said to them, follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time, they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. So old school John Wick right here, thrusting a dagger, this left-handed man reaching down on the right thigh, pulling out that 18-inch blade, and thrust it into the belly all the way in to the handle goes in, and then just pulls out the hand. He's like, I ain't, I ain't pulling that thing back out. I'm going to leave it there. Entrails come out. Kills him. Here's the secret message. And he gives it to him. Escapes. Goes back and he's like, all right, I'm sounding the trumpet. It's time for battle. Because God is with us. He's delivering. And yet the thing I love about this is here God is raising up Ehud. And Ehud goes on the offensive. Right out the gate, he takes first action takes first action and he's like, now all you need to do is come with me, follow me, and we'll have victory over the enemy. And we're going to have peace because of it. And so that works. Until the 80 years is up. You want to guess what happens? Yeah, they do evil in the sight. Verse 31, after him was Shamgar the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. I love it. With Shamgar, they're just like, the author here is saying, okay, you get this by now, right? This cycle, they sin, they're in suffering, they become sorrowful. Here's God sending salvation. And he's like, here's the salvation. I've got the salvation for you. If it, if it wasn't good enough that Othniel then, you know, delivers you from the hand of King Kushan Rishathaim, if that wasn't good enough, guess what? We, we've got Ehud. 
And here Ehud comes in and he gives you, like, defeats the king of Moab. Not only the, the king of Moab, I mean, he's like thrusting that knife into the belly and then they go down and they, they take these people out. That didn't work. Apparently just killing one king was, was not good enough. Here's Shamgar. Guess what? He took out 600. And over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. Every time one of these judges, one of these leaders dies off, they revert back. Because that one that God had raised up to lead them out, they've taken their eyes off of them because they're no longer with them. And yet here I am, and I'm looking at us, I'm looking at modern day Christians, and I'm like, do you not realize that the judge that we have is our advocate, our high priest, Jesus Christ, the one who God raised up to be our deliverer, the one who came here was with us, and he took the battle to the front line. He went on the first offensive because he's on that cross, and he gives up his life for us takes our suffering upon him, goes straight into the pits of hell, and what does he do? He defeats the enemy and takes the keys of death and Hades away. And he says, just stick with me, and nothing's coming against you. If you will just stick with me. And he makes sure that they know, I have not left you, I will always be with you. Jesus is like, my name is Emmanuel, God with us. I have not left you. You may not see me, but I have not left you. I will be with you even till the end of age. But yet we are so stuck in the here and now in this world that we can't see what's going on spiritually. We're only seeing with our natural eyes, not our spiritual eyes. We're only seeing in the physical. We're not seeing with the spiritual. We're not seeing with our heart. We're not seeing that Jesus is here with us and he's still trying to lead us. All we have to do is follow him. But if we don't follow him, we're standing in opposition to him. And how do you think that's going to play out? We can't be surprised when we disobey God, when we rebel against God's ways, when we won't even do what Jesus told us. Jesus is like, you guys couldn't even figure out 10 commandments. I'm giving you two. Because let's say you get all of your digits hacked off. Guess what? You still got a couple limbs, right? You can still count to two. Love God. Love people. This isn't hard. And yet when we don't do that, what happens? Rebellion leads to destruction and chaos. But repentance leads to deliverance. And it leads to peace. See, the the same beginning and the same ending happens when we do it our way. The beginning is we do what we want. And then the ending, when we do it our way, is destruction comes. But yet the same beginning and the same ending happens when we do it God's way. When we do it God's way, the deliverer comes. And the ending is we enjoy peace. For how many years? For the remainder of our life. Because it's always this next generation that can't learn. I wonder if we can learn. 
Because if we do it our way, there's nothing new under the sun. If we do it our way, what has been done will be done. But if we do it God's way, there's nothing new under the sun. And what has been done will be done. If we do it God's way, the deliverer that came will set us free. So the question is, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? See, the Apostle Paul gives us this, this imagery in, in 2, Chron- or 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, here's what it says. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. See, here's a clear distinction. When we're crying out to God, don't cry out to God because you're suffering and you're in pain. Cry out to God because you've abandoned him. Because you've disobeyed him. See, what I want us all to do at some point in time through this week is I I want us to just do that. Take some time, take some prayer time, and just cry out to God and say, God, if there is an area of my life that I have been disobedient and I have not followed you, please show that to me. Show me how I have not followed your ways because I'm sorry. I want to follow your way. I want to obey. I want to be in your presence. I want to be right where you're at and I don't want to stand against you. I don't want suffering. I want salvation. Help save me from this area of my life where my flesh still takes over, where I'm still in the natural. Help me to be more like you in that area. You see, that type of prayer that we have, that type of a request that we have, it it has this promise with us. This promise that, that Paul actually tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, he says, this is a faithful saying. I love that. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. See, even in those moments when we have been faithless, when we have not put our trust, our faith, adhering to God's ways, that doesn't mean God is faithless. He is still faithful. He will still uphold his end of the agreement when we uphold our end. And all it takes is faith. All it takes is obedience. All it takes is following his way. We sit here in this world, we sit here in this nation, we sit here in this year. And I mean, if you were to come up with words to describe 2020, I don't know as anybody would disagree with the word suffering. They might have other words, some of them more colorful, some of them maybe even more accurate. But as I look at it, I I see suffering. I see people who work with their hands and love what they do when they've been out of work. 
I see loved ones that can't interact with one another, that can't visit one another, that can't see each other. I see a nation that in its very name says we're united, becoming more divided. I see people who have the same desires fighting and arguing amongst themselves. I see suffering all across the board. And when I see that, I just, I not only pray, I start to imagine what would it be like if what I'm asking you to do and asking God to help you with that area that maybe you've disobeyed him. What would happen if we all did that in this nation? If we all turned our faces towards God and say, show me a way that I have not been like you and help me be more like you. Can you imagine what it would be like if this nation was known for loving God and loving each other? Can you even imagine what it would be like if you can't imagine what it would be like, look at what happened with Israel. When the deliverer came, they enjoyed peace. They enjoyed prosperity. They enjoyed abundance. They enjoyed salvation. I truly believe that the only path forward for us to not repeat the same mistakes is for us to make different choices. Instead of doing what's right in our own eyes, let's do what's right in God's eyes. Because Solomon was right. What has been done will be done. So are we going to do what Israelites did in their own eyes? Or what Israelites did when they followed their deliverer? We know what the result is from those choices. And whichever one we choose is what will be done. My hope and prayer is that we all choose, not just here, not just in this body of believers, not just those that are listening to this message online, but that all of us in this nation and all of us across the world will turn our eyes and our hearts towards God and do what's right in His sight. Because only then will we truly find peace. It won't come from a nation. It'll only come from the deliverer that was already sent 2,000 years ago. Let's pray.